Good morning and welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright and we are so happy to be back with you on this Monday morning, October 23rd. It was a good week at the EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Conference, with a retreat day, some great time with co-workers and then uh, colleagues that work in other radio apostolates across the country, a lot of time in prayer Holy Mass, uh, and, and so much. I'll tell you more about that after we pray this morning. But before we pray, I would like to, you know, if you listen to the show regularly, I, I think I've mentioned this a few times before, that when I come into the studio here in the morning, I do a few different things. Uh, first, I get settled at my desk. I get my, my cup of water. But then I open up about five different uh, news sources, and I just peruse those really quickly. And as I was doing that today, you know, there's a lot of things that jump out that uh, they're now, well, here's the headline from The Loop. Uh, the defense secretary prepares more forces. President Biden has directed Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to ready more military personnel as tensions rise in the Middle East. Quote, I have placed an additional number of forces on prepare to deploy orders as part of a prudent contingency planning to increase their readiness and ability to quickly respond as required. Um, you know, if, if we're saying, well, this is just going to get better overnight, I think you and I would be hiding our heads in the scene. But I don't think we're saying that. I think everybody's legitimately concerned about what's going to happen next. And I think anything we can do to keep praying and, in, and to invite others to pray, um, the odds of Adam Wright going over to the Middle East and brokering a peace deal, not so great, but the odds of Adam Wright being able to pray here and inviting others to pray with me, those odds are pretty good. Those odds are, in fact, very good. So let's do the work that we are able to do. And as we pray our morning offering this morning, let's add a Hail Mary and entrust all of our concerns to the Blessed Mother. As we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I cannot impart upon you how urgent it is to keep those rosaries praying each and every day and to share that message. Um, you know, we're going to go back to today on the show the uh, we, we did about a year and a half, two years ago, a series of Marian apparitions with Doug Berry, and we're going to revisit those starting today. Uh, we hear the messages that the Blessed Mother has had for us in the apparitions of the past hundred years since Fatima, and we need to be paying attention. We really need to be paying attention to these. Um, we're also going to have with us today Bishop Michael Sis. I was able to sit down with Bishop Sis in uh, Birmingham when we were down there for the EWTN radio conference, and he gave a, a wonderful talk to us on Thursday morning. He was the guest on EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa on uh, Wednesday evening. We were able to attend the taping of that. And also today we're going to hear about St. John Paul II, whose feast day uh, was yesterday. And so that's all ahead on the show. But first, let's go to Mike Roberts for our weather and our saint of the day this morning.
Today is the feast day of St. John Capistrano. Born in Italy in 1386, his father served on the court of the King of Naples. As a young man, after studying law at the University of Perugia, he was appointed governor when he was just 26 years old. It was a time of great conflict in Italy, and soon war developed with the House of Malatista, a family that ruled parts of Italy in the 13th and 14th century. Sent as an ambassador and broker for peace, John was taken prisoner, and while he was being held captive, had a vision of St. Francis, which moved him to join the Franciscans as a priest. After he was finally released, he was ordained at the age of 30. John was an outstanding priest and a fiery preacher, and these skills, combined with his intellect and ability as a negotiator, made him a valued participant in the many and varied conflicts of the day. He was sent by Pope Eugene IV and Nicholas V to oppose the claims of anti-Pope Felix V. John helped suppress a number of different heresies, including one within the ranks of the Franciscan order itself, and he was especially effective at reviving the sleeping and dormant faith of the people in Central Europe. At the age of 70, he was sent to preach to a crusade against the invading Turks, and he was even given command of his own unit in a difficult but successful effort to free Belgrade from a siege. However, the battle took its toll on John, and a few years later he died on this day in 1456. St. John Capistrano, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed Friday. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Daily Offering God the Father, I thank Thee for creating me. God the Son, I thank Thee for redeeming me. God, the Holy Spirit, I thank Thee for sanctifying me. Infuse into my thoughts, words, and actions Thy grace, so that they may be supernaturally pleasing to Thee and supernaturally rewarding to me forever. O blessed Trinity, abundantly assist me in becoming that which Thou intended me to become when Thou created me. For in Thy perfection I will give Thee the glory Thou desirest of me, and in that perfection I will find my greatest joy in heaven. Amen. I mentioned at the top of the show that there's a lot going on in the world and there's a lot of reason to be concerned. And, you know, there's two things I try to keep in mind. One, we know the ultimate victor in the battle of good and evil. But two, just because we know who the victor is doesn't mean we might not become victims of the enemy, that we might be lost to the enemy. And so with that in mind, uh, especially in light of the calls for prayers and fasting in response to the ever-burgeoning crisis in the Middle East, the terrorist attacks, the responses to those, and uh, the potential for things to escalate very quickly, thought we would be wise to turn to what the Blessed Mother has been saying over the past hundred years about why we need to have that conversion, why we need to pray the rosary. I was very pleased and privileged a while back to sit down with Doug Barry and talk about these things, and in that spirit, we're going to rebroadcast them this week, beginning today with Our Lady of Fatima. We are very happy to be speaking with Doug Barry today. 
about our favorite Marian apparitions. Well, maybe not our favorite Marian apparitions, but certainly the Marian apparitions of the last 100 years. And every day we're going to take one apparition this week. And Doug, it's good to be with you today. Adam, I appreciate the chance to be with you. I look forward to opportunities like this, especially to talk about Our Lady and her messages. So when we talk about Marian apparitions of the last 100 years, I can only imagine we are going to start with Our Lady of Fatima. Yes, Pretty much have to. You have one of the most amazing, life-altering, world-changing, world-shaking events that takes place in Fatima, Portugal. Three little children. Uh, actually, it begins several months before Our Lady appears when the Angel of Peace appears to the three children and teaches them to pray. The Angel appears three different times to them. And then 1917, on May 13th, the Blessed Mother appears and everything begins to roll from there. So, Doug, when we talk about these Marian apparitions, one thing I've learned over my years is that each apparition has a very specific message. What is the message of Fatima? Fatima is one of those messages that really has a duration that goes on. And the great thing is, and we'll get into this in, in future conversations about different apparitions, is it links to other apparitions that take place up to now, really, these you know, following 100 years or so. But Fatima was predominantly about warning. And you know this clearly when you see the depth of the message coming to three little children as young as seven, nine, and 10 years old as Jacinta, Francisco, and Lucia were. July 13th, 1917 is really a key pivotal apparition where they're shown the vision of hell. And a lot of people talk about this, the vision of hell. We know about the vision of hell. But then she also says that this war will end soon after the vision of hell, which in and of itself is pretty groundbreaking, pretty earth-shaking. This is the place where poor sinners go, have nobody to pray for them, make sacrifices for them, she says. In order to save souls, God wishes to establish a devotion to my immaculate heart. Now that's completed more in 1926 when our Lord and our Blessed Mother appear to Lucia in the convent and really establish the five for Saturday devotion and all that goes with that, which is something we should be doing, not just talking about, but doing even today. Now back up again to July 13th, 1917, after that vision of hell, she says that this war will end soon. Now, World War I had started in 1914. It would then end in 1918. So she nailed that, obviously. This war will end soon. But, she says, if man does not stop offending God, there will be a second war, and it will be far worse than this one. And she gives some details on that. She also talks about Russia spreading the error of her ways, which is more than just a state communist type government. It is godlessness in general. It is immorality. It is a destruction of family. After the Bolshevik revolutions that took place following the apparitions of Our Lady in 1917, the Bolshevik revolutions broke out. And in that time period, the Bolsheviks were very big on destroying family values, and it really escalated. And now we see this all over the world, not even forced upon us. Many people are just running full steam down this road of destruction of family. Now, she also speaks in 1917 on July 13th in the importance of consecration of Russia that every single one of us needs to be praying a rosary daily. And this is the key part. Many people ask me over the years, because I talk about this a lot, do you think the consecration was done right? Do you think John Paul II did it right? And now it's, do you think Pope Francis did it right? I don't know. I always say that's out of my wheelhouse. That's above my pay grade. I just know that the Blessed Mother said we all need to pray the rosary daily. And I know I haven't always done that. I've been doing it a lot more the last 15, 20 years of my life, but that's something we all need to focus on because that is on us. But I will wrap up with this key point. Years later, 21 years approximately, World War II breaks out. It is devastating. Even to this day, the memories of it, the pain of it from people who still you know, are alive, who suffered through it is still overwhelming in many, many respects. 
But in 1957, I believe, Sister Lucia had an interview with the Father Fluences. I think it's I pronounced the name correctly there. She said in the interview, in all six apparitions, not once did me or my cousins ever see the Blessed Mother smile. That's a key thing to think about. Our Lady did not come to these three little children in 1917 to say, hey, everything's great. Your wonderful little innocence does so much to help us. I mean, there's aspects of that, of course, but Our Lady doesn't smile. She comes and says, in essence, you three children are being called to be instruments of God to say to the world, there's a serious warning at hand here. A second world war, which happened, Russia, which is happening now, and many people are starting to connect these dots. So John Paul II, God rest that wonderful, beautiful, saintly soul. He said that the apparitions of Fatima and the messages of Fatima are more important for us in our modern time, obviously when he was alive, he said this, than they were even when they were given. So there's still a lot to Fatima that people need to be looking to. There's a lot to Fatima people need to be paying attention to. And of course, responding to Our Lady's call, urgent call, urgent call for conversion. It sounds like the number one message for us is that above all else, if we are not praying the rosary daily, we need to start right now. That's it. But we do know that the Blessed Mother has been warning us for over 100 years of the seriousness of deep conversion. And you're right. Praying that rosary is a key part of that. Get the confession consistently, regularly. Get to that rosary daily. Keep it near you at all times and pray it every day without fail, no matter how you feel. Blessed Mother didn't say pray the rosary when you feel good. And she didn't say you're going to feel good when you pray the rosary. She said, just pray it. And oftentimes when things are hard, that's when we really show our love when things are difficult, but we do it because we know it's the right thing to do. Well, that's a whole other conversation I imagine we're going to get to in the future because it is so important to pray that daily rosary. Doug Berry, thank you so much for shedding some light on Our Lady of Fatima for us today. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Great to be with you. It's one of those things that I think, you know, you can take out the concern of whatever time we were having that conversation, and then you fill in the blank with the concern of today. And I think the Blessed Mother has been very clear about that. It doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what she said, and the call is still there to pray the rosary each and every day. We're going to take a break. Here's Josh Blakesley with Be Lifted High. When we come back, we will have Bishop Michael Sis with us. A prayer for priests. Oh, my God, help those priests who are faithful to remain faithful. To those who are falling, stretch forth your divine hand that they may grasp it as their support. In the great ocean of your mercy, lift those poor unfortunate ones who have fallen, that being engulfed therein, they may receive the grace to return to your great loving heart. Amen. Precious blood of Jesus, protect them. We are at the EWTN radio conference in Birmingham, Alabama. It's been a wonderful few days, and this morning we were privileged to hear a keynote address from Bishop Michael Sis of San Angelo, Texas, who was also the guest on EWTN Live with Father Mitch Packwell last evening. We got to see that taping, and we're very fortunate to have some time to sit down with Bishop Sis right now. Your Excellency, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you, Adam. So last night on EWTN Live, there was a good chunk of time spent talking about evangelization in the context of the Eucharistic revival, but also in the context of campus ministry. And you spent how many years at, at Texas A&M at the, the Catholic Parish for the students? I served there for 13 and a half years, beautiful years in my life, serving college students at a secular university campus. 
Wow. I, I imagine there must have been a particular energy spending that much time with that particular age bracket. Oh, yes. It's a life-giving thing. To serve with college students, I highly recommend it to anybody. Okay. Now, on the show last night with Father Mitch, and then again this morning talking about evangelization, one of the things that has really just been burning on my heart as I, I've been hearing all of this is this thirst for truth. And I wonder if you could speak about your experiences with that with the college age. How you know What are they looking for? Are they looking for just soft answers? Are they looking for depth? What are, what are they seeking right now? What I find in young adults is that they're, they're trying to make sense out of this world, which is a very confusing and challenging place to, to grow up in, and they're trying to find their moorings in society, and they want from religion not only union with God, but they want to live it with a worldview that, that makes sense, a comprehensive way of living in the world, because the world is so segmented and confusing. The Catholic worldview offers a comprehensive way to approach reality, and they appreciate the order of it. And, for example, they're looking for a faith life, a prayer life. They're looking for God's help in getting them through their struggles. They're looking a lot for healing because there's a lot of brokenness in their lives. They need healing, and our faith brings that. They also are looking for community. Over and over again, when we do surveys of young adults, they respond that one of the top priorities that they're looking for is community, fellowship, opportunities to be with one another. And so, for example, in our campus ministry and in other young adult ministries that I've been involved in over the years, one of the basic principles that I've operated by is that what attracts young adults is the presence of other young adults. So when anyone in the church is wondering how do we get more young adults to come to our activities and to participate in, our, in what we offer, my response is get young adults involved in visible roles of leadership because when a young adult comes to visit this event or this place or this liturgy and they see other young adults, then they say, oh, this is a place where I could fit in because I see other young adults. So involving young adults in visible roles of leadership uh, is key to attracting more. One of the points you made in your conversation last night on the show that, you know, may seem a little counterintuitive, but I, I thought it was a beautiful point, was talking about evangelization is not just recruitment for a Catholic club. You know, the, perhaps we think if, if I'm doing evangelization correctly, then I'm going to get my neighbor who hasn't come to Mass to start coming to Mass, which would certainly be a good thing. But you were talking in the context of everything that's happening in the world, especially the violence in the Middle East right now with the attacks on the Israeli people um, and then the response to those attacks and especially the, the thousands of innocent civilians that are now displaced or suffering, that evangelization is also in how we respond to that. That, you know, and sometimes I think we think of that, well, that's just our response. That's not necessarily evangelization. 
How does that happen? How, you know, and, and especially for those of us here in the United States right now, how can we evangelize in our response to situations in the world? I recommend that we respond, first of all, by paying attention to the world and listening, paying attention, reading to what's really happening. And then when we have a sense of what's happening, we respond on the basis of our faith because our faith has something to say about those situations. And sometimes what that means is studying what our faith has to say. For example, our, the Catholic Church has been dealing with the situation in the Holy Land for centuries. And we have a track record of what we say and teach about the solutions to life in the Holy Land. And so in listening to the crisis that's happening, it's good to look and see what is it that our church has said about life in the Holy Land or the future for potential for peace in the Holy Land and what that would take and be informed from the, the, the learned experience and wisdom of 2,000 years of church teaching and then uh, think about how that applies in the current scenario. So there's so much to be learned by just looking at a few resources, consulting a few resources, and seeing what is our church position on this issue. I think that's a good way to start. And of course, another part of evangelization is having the courage to say something. Because it's a lot easier just to remain silent, not make any waves, and not risk any vulnerability by simply remaining silent. However, as Christians, we are called to be light for the world, salt of the earth. We're called to make a difference in our environment. And that means speaking up. And the journey into being an effective evangelizer means taking little baby steps of just trying to say something about what's going on in the world around us and how we as Christians should deal with it. And while I may not be a mediator in the midst of the conflict in the Middle East, where I might be is in the break room at work or talking with family or with neighbors and someone might say, well, I think that what needs to happen is X, Y, or Z. And if we're well formed, then we can respond from the church's point of view of, well, let me share with you what, what we believe and, what, and why yes. we believe this. Exactly. Now, one of the other things you said in the course of our time together, I love this, it was at Mass this morning, at the end of Holy Mass, you said, this is the most important thing we're going to do today. We've now done it. Everything else is icing on the cake. And I, I love that, uh, that way of looking at life as a Catholic. And it reminded me of some of the things you shared about the National Eucharistic Revival, that we are in just a little past the halfway point in this three-year period. Right now is a great time for that. We spoke recently with Chris Frank from the Eucharistic Revival about Jesus and the Eucharist and that wonderful study series that's going on. But this next phase is really now about that evangelization, taking what we've learned, what we've studied, what we believe out to those who don't believe. Um, more and more, as I understand it, Texas is becoming more and more Catholic. Uh, what are your hopes for this next phase of the Eucharistic revival? And how are the laity vital to this idea of taking the Catholic teachings on the Eucharist and our devotion and our belief about mass, about adoration, etc., 
out to a world that more and more is filled with the unchurched or those who choose to believe nothing? I believe that one of the key fruits of the lay apostolate is ingenuity, creativity. And my recommendation to lay members of the church in this Eucharistic revival is to put your thinking cap on and look at the needs and start imagining ways to meet those needs. Because the, the ingenuity, the inventiveness of lay Catholics is what leads to some of our most effective evangelization. You look, for example, at uh, many of our radio apostolates. They were taken up by lay people who decide, we're going to find a way to make this work. Uh, where I live in West Texas, some of our local evangelization efforts, like a, a new Catholic school, a new Catholic retreat center, uh, retreat movements, ministry to prisoners, are lay initiatives. And we, as, as the hierarchy of the church, try to be supportive and discerning and helpful, but the energy and the inventiveness, I think, must include the, the minds and the actions of the lay people. Well, there you have it. There's a challenge for us to put our ingenuity to use and uh, to work with the church to go out and, and spread devotion to the Most Holy Eucharist. Bishop Sis, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. I know you're very busy this morning. You have to get back to uh, West Texas here coming up. But before we go, could I ask you for a prayer or a blessing for our listeners? Certainly, Adam. And thank you so much for taking the time to, to uh, allow me to share a few words. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you and guide every step of your journey. May he nourish you by the grace of the sacraments and give you hope in eternal life. God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Prayer to Our Lady of Perpetual Help O Mother of Perpetual Help, grant that I may ever invoke thy most powerful name, which is the safeguard of the living and the salvation of the dying. O purest Mary, O sweetest Mary, let thy name henceforth be ever on my lips. Delay not, O blessed lady, to help me whenever I call on thee. For in all my needs, in all my temptations, I shall never cease to call on thee, ever repeating thy sacred name, Mary, Mary. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. It's another new week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And once again with us, as always, is Patty Schneier. Patty, what is our theme this week? Well, this week, as we are gearing up towards the end of the month of October, I know, of course, we've got Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. Then we start November. We've got the Feast of All Saints. And I started just thinking about Halloween and for children. And I thought to myself, you know what? I want to really focus on children saints. So I spent the week researching a lot about children saints and gaining inspiration from children saints. You know, mere boys and girls can become saints. 
And youth is no barrier to holiness. The call to holiness begins at baptism. And we do not have to wait for old age and gray hair to serve God. So youthful saints tell us something about holiness. And their example is especially luminous as they dedicated their young lives to God. So today, I want to start with the first young saint. Let's talk about St. Dominic Savio. He died at the age of 15. He was one of 10 children born into a peasant family. His father was a blacksmith. His mother was a seamstress. He was a normal, high-spirited boy who sometimes got into trouble with his teachers because he would often break out laughing in school. But when Don Bosco, St. Don Bosco, was looking for young men to train as priests for his Salesian order, his parish priest suggested Dominic Savio. Dominic organized a group of boys into what was called the Company of the Immaculate Conception. And all of these boys became the nucleus of Don Bosco's order. Dominic Savio spent long hours in prayer, and he was blessed with spiritual gifts far beyond his years. In 1857, at the age of 15, he caught tuberculosis and was sent home to recover. He asked his father to say the prayers for the dying. And as he did so, Dominic's face lit up with intense joy, and he said to his father, I am seeing the most wonderful things. These were his last words. Dominic's way was the way of the ordinary. Cheerfulness, fidelity in little things, helping others, playing games, obeying his superiors. This heroism in little things is the stuff of holiness. Parents and grandparents, look at your child today and ponder the thought that your ordinary kid, who might get into trouble sometimes, is called to be a saint. I always love when someone challenges me to see the extraordinary in the ordinary, and St. Dominic Savio has laid forth that challenge today. Patty, thank you for this daily dose of encouragement. Well, that is our show today, and we're so glad to have spent the hour with you. It was a great joy to be away at the conference last week. I want you to know we prayed for you during our retreat day at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville, Alabama, where we prayed at the tomb of Mother Angelica. We heard a wonderful talk from Father Joseph Mary Wolf, attended Holy Mass with Bishop Reka, and uh, both uh, my wife and I, Beth, was able to tag along for the trip. She, uh, she sent herself down there to tag along, and uh, we were just enamored by the beauty of the singing of the sisters at Holy Mass, and then the joy of meeting them in the parlor of the cloister afterwards. But know that it was a great week that we we prayed for you. But uh, there was, you know, as I said, a lot of talk down there and a lot of talk since I've been back about just concern for the world. And the consensus is we have to do our part. We have to pray. I know last Tuesday we observed a day of prayer and fasting. Let's not let that be the only day we pray and fast for peace, especially in our Friday abstinence and the penance we take on. It's a great opportunity for us as well. Uh, perhaps instead of abstinence from meat, we could also do abstinence and fasting on Fridays in the foreseeable future. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church. 
pray for us. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray for us. And St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. And we can't say it enough. Pray your rosary today.